Do you like introductions? I remember as a college student, the first day of class, I oftentimes missed. They were not as important. College students were here. I know you came back for school. Welcome back. We're glad you're here. But honestly, do you give much thought about introductions? Uh, sometimes even if you m miss the introduction of a movie, you're not really missing much because it's just setting the stage, setting the ambience. But there's some introductions that if you miss them, you miss the whole thing. There's some introductions that are worth pausing and reflecting and making sure that we, we get the beginnings right. And it is with that attitude that we want to approach the introduction of the Gospel of John. Would you open Scripture to the book of John? We'll be reading from chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 18. If you're using one of the Bibles provided in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page 919, 919. As you turn there, let's prepare our hearts for the reading of God's Word. John begins his gospel with the following words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Amen. 
this is the word of the Lord for us this morning, for our hearts. Let's ask God to give us His Spirit so that we may understand His word. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank You that You are the one from the beginning. We thank You that in You we have life. Father, in these moments, we want to acknowledge and recognize that we need Your Spirit to illumine to us the significance of these words. We pray that you do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, last week we looked at the purpose of John and we looked at an overview of this fourth gospel. And today we begin our immersion into this gospel. These first 18 verses are often called, known, and you may have heard them by this title, they're called the prologue prologue, the, the introduction, and uh, they, they function as an introduction. Uh, since the Gospel of John does not have the, event, the accounts of the events of Jesus' birth, this prologue functions as a presentation of Jesus' origins, his identity, and his mission. It's a very, very unique introduction of the life of Jesus. No birth narratives, no prophecies. The only similarity, actually, between John's introduction and the rest of the introductions of the other Gospels is the reference to John the Baptist. That's the only link. Now, this prologue is a very well-crafted piece. Actually, it flows so smoothly together that some people thought that it was an initial hymn or poem that some other author has come up with or some other religious group has adopted. And now John, the, the author of this gospel, heard that poem and he, th he thought, well, let me tweak it a little bit and adapt it as my introduction to my gospel. But as we will look at this introduction, there is such an organic unity of what happens in these first 18 verses with what happens to the rest of the gospel that is hard to believe. It's harder to believe that this was written by somebody else outside of the author of this gospel. It is written together. It's part of the whole story. As a matter of fact, this introduction functions not just as setting the stage for John's gospel. This introduction would also be better described as a summary of what happens in the entire gospel. Actually, every major theme of the Gospel of John is introduced in this beginning. Yes, there is some introductory stuff about the origins of Jesus and his mission and his identity. But as we will look at those things, origins, identity, and mission, we will see that John is, is weaving the major themes of the entire Gospel in this introduction. So in some way you could read the entire prologue, the entire introduction, and get a sense of what this whole book is about. As we saw last week, Jesus is telling, I mean, John is telling us that Jesus is the Son of God. That's a purpose. John 20, verse 30 and 31. And by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, we may have life. This gospel is telling us that this life is revealed in Jesus and that this life is something we need to have now if you are 
new to Christianity, or if you like logic, and I'm not sure why this thing is a little is doing a little beeps, just carry along. Stay along. Don't check out. You may ask yourself, if we need life, the Bible tells us we need life. Jesus came to bring us life. But I am a rational person. I am living. I have life. I'm alive. So in what way is this gospel telling us that Jesus is the revealer of life when we already have life? Well, honestly, rationally speaking, don't you think this is just a little, uh, a little dust in, in, in the air? Well, here's the point of the story. Here's the beginning of it. If you, if, especially if you're new to Christianity, I want to make sure you understand the, the foundation of all of it. The Bible tells us that at our origins, the first couple died when they have rebelled against God, their creator. God decreed to Adam and Eve the following. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now when Adam and Eve sinned, they died. But it was not just a physical death that, Jesus was, that God was speaking about. As a matter of fact, if we read the, the account of Genesis, Adam and Eve lived another 800 years after that decree. Well, that's not a bad time to live. In some way, physically speaking, they did not die. They kept living for a very long time. But there was another death that happened in that moment. Because immediately after Adam and Eve ate of the tree, and God confronted them about their eating of the tree, of, of the tree of knowledge, one of the things that happened immediately afterwards is that God expelled them out of the garden. And that was a symbol of breaking away the fellowship and the life that God had intended to have with mankind forever. And because of that death that happened, it was a spiritual death, not a physical death. It was a spiritual death that was then symbolized by this casting out it was not just symbolized. God said something as God sent, cast out Adam and Eve out of the garden. He said something very powerful, very important for us to know. Jo Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 and 24. God said, He must not be allowed to reach out His hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Why did God guard the garden so that man would not go back and eat now of the tree of life? Because from the very beginning after that rebellion, God had put an end to man's life even though man physically kept on living 
And man from that point on no longer has access to the life that God had prepared for mankind. Until Jesus comes. Because when Jesus comes, he comes to bring the life that we have lost in the garden. That's why he was hung on a tree. So that through his death on the cross, he may bring life to those who were banished from the life of God by eating of the forbidden tree. In Christ, we have received the life that God had intended for us, for his people, which we have lost in the garden. Friend, if you don't know about this life, if you don't know why we need this life, it's because even though you are alive, even though you're breathing, even though you're thinking right now, there is a sense in which if you don't have Jesus, you do not have this life that God is talking about. Friend, if you would like to know more about this life that Jesus brings, I would love to talk to you more about it at the end of the service. And I encourage you to listen carefully through the rest of the sermon because this whole point is how do we get this life if we have not received it yet so christ came to reveal life he came to bring us life the life we were banned from in the garden and now the prologue says to us in him was life verse 4 in him was life it's a life that has its center and source in the word of god and this is how john begins this gospel it's a life that has its source and begins with God from the beginning, which a life which is the Word of God, who was God. So let's look this morning, as, as we look at the introduction, let's look at three things. Origins, identity, and mission. Who is this Jesus that John can say, in him was life? Who is he? When did he begin? What is his identity, and why did he come? Let's look at these three themes this morning. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Unlike every other gospel, this one starts off not with the beginning of Jesus' earthly life. It doesn't even start with the beginning of creation as we saw the book of Genesis earlier read in our service. It starts with the beginning of the Son of God. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were being assigned the task of describing the beginning of the Son of God, where would you start? How would you go about it? How would you describe the beginning of the Son of God. How do you talk about the time before creation? Was there time before creation? We don't know. So John begins by some very simple words in the beginning. But When you go there, if we could go to the absolute very beginning, and by the way, again, it's not referring to the beginning of creation or the beginning of Jesus' life. I'm not 
sure why this mic is giving up. It is referring to a time prior to anything. In the Greek language, the, the word for, or for, for beginning could also be the origins. So you could say, at the origins. If we could go back all the way, at the, at the earliest time, at the earliest point, at the origins. John says, when we get there, if we could get there, we find that God is already existing. In the beginning, at the origins, was the Word. And here's, a cr here's the amazing part. When John talks about the beginning of the Son of God, there's no point when he says, and the Son of God became, or came into being. When we go to the very origins, to the very point where we think there's nothing beyond it, there's got to be a starting point for everything. When we go there, John says, there was the Word already there. He's already existing at the most point of origins. In other words, the Word did not have a beginning. In the beginning, the Word existed already. Now, you may have a hard time to think about that. Well, what do you mean that God doesn't have a starting point? That's the point. If you could go to the very starting point of anything you could go to, God is already there. Now, why is John starting this gospel with such a philosophical introduction, if you would? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Why this? An introduction is supposed to grab your attention, not to lose it. Right? Why this kind of introduction? Well, I think it's because he's going to make the argument throughout the gospel that Jesus is the Son of God. And he's going to call people to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So how do you describe it? To point out that God has no beginning. As Son of God, He is different than God because He's with God. He's a, and the Word was with God. So there's a distinction there. And then He says, but He was God. So he's both God and he's with God. How is that possible? That's the doctrine of the Trinity. The first hint in this gospel that the God we believe in, yes, he's one, but there are three persons in it. And, and don't ask me to explain it because I, I will lose you. But somehow we, that's the way it is. In the very beginning, when you go to the very beginning, God is already there and he's with somebody else. And that somebody else is also God. How do you explain that? I don't know. But John wants to say, that's who started everything. Because in verse 3, Paul, uh, John says that it is through him that all things were made. In other words, friends, there was not a time when the son was not created. This is where the analogy of a father-son breaks down for us. When we think of father-son relationships, there was a time 
when the father existed without the son, when the man was by himself. But when we think of the Godhead, the father-son relationship existed eternally. There was never a time when the father was by himself. God, because he's Jesus, because he's God, he existed with the father from the beginning. He said, how, is, how can these things be? I don't know. The analogy breaks down. Are our human analogies help us to a certain point, and then they break down when they describe who God is. But the point is, this is the origin of the one who became flesh. The only time Paul, oh, John can talk about Jesus becoming something is then when he took on flesh. But he existed from the very beginning, and from, from this introduction, we're struck with the importance and the eternality of what John is want, wanting to present to us. This is not a story like any other story. This is not just a theory about the beginnings of the world. John is starting this gospel by going at the very beginning of all existence. And when we get there, we find out that God is already there. You know what this should mean for me and you as we hear this? It should lead us to humbleness. Wow. We are trying to do everything possible to work out, to keep healthy. Are you still keeping those resolutions? To keep healthy so that we could prolong our lives because we find value in living a longer life. Friends, the one who encounters us in this gospel is the one who's been existing forever and ever and ever. Praise and glory be to his name. That should lead us to humbleness. We're so small so insignificant in comparison with who he is. And we should be struck and, and just amazed by, by his grandeur that we cannot comprehend with our human minds. That's how John begins to talk about the origins. God is already there. That means we're not the center of the universe. This world did not begin with us or end with us. Yet we are invited to have a relationship with the one who has no beginning and no end. What a glorious invitation. What a glorious and what a joyful invitation to enter into a relationship, to have a meeting, to have a, a communion with the one who has no beginning. That's the origins. The second thing John wants to do and to give us is the identity. And in this introduction, we have a few words that describe Jesus and his identity. Uh, the very first word is, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the speech. In the beginning was the, the act of God. The speaking of God to mankind is most clearly made, dear friends. God began his creation by speaking. God revealed himself to us by speaking. And now, the absolute amazing part is what the author of Hebrews also says. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. That's the Old Testament. But now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He has spoken to us in his son. He has spoken to us by sending his son. Because Christ is a
culmination of God's revelation to us, of His words to us. He's the center and He's the culmination of it. But then John also describes Jesus as the originator of all things. If, if Jesus is God, if the Word was God, and if He was with God at the beginning, then He must have been involved in the creation, for God created the world by speaking. Even though if you read Genesis, you don't see the name Jesus in the first chapter. Because Jesus is the Word, whenever God speaks, you can assume that Jesus is there also. Because Jesus is present in the communicative act of God. Verse 3, through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, just ponder on that expression. Nothing was made without Him. Think of mountains. Think of the oceans. Think of the stars. None of them made without them. Think of you. You say, well, I have parents. I have grandparents. There's a chain. Well, go back the, to the origins of that chain. Who made you? Not only God, but Christ. Nothing, nothing was made without Him. That means there's no entity, no particle, no object in this universe that does not have its origins in Christ. That's how amazing Christ is. Mankind, the Adam and Eve, was made out of the dust of the earth, but not without the Word being involved. How do we know? Because even the dust had to be filled with life. And what does God do? He breathes life. And who's the life? John says, in him was life. When God breathed the word of God, when God breathed in Adam and Eve, or in Adam as he formed Adam first, Christ was there. Friends, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the originator of all things. But probably the greatest thing that John wants to tell us about who Jesus is, is that Jesus is the light. Of all the titles in this prologue, which by the way are being developed throughout the Gospel of John, the one title given most emphasis about who Jesus is, about his identity, is that Jesus is the light. Now, the reference to Jesus being the light is reminiscent of Genesis. What is the first thing that God spoke to the darkness of the world? Let there be light. It's amazing that at the beginning of this gospel, John, of all the titles he could emphasize, John is emphasizing the idea, the identity that Jesus is, the light. Just as the beginning of the creation, what the world needed most desperately and most immediately beyond anything else was light. So now, John's first identity, major identity of Jesus, is that he is the light, the light of man. Friends, if you have a hard time appreciating light, then just physical light. Try for, a, try for two days to live life with turning off all the lights in your circumstances. Try to run away from places where there's light, except in the day, daylight. I'm talking in evenings. 
stay away from driving. You can't turn your lights on the car so you can see. Um, stay away from turning on the lights in your house. If you have dinner after it's getting dark, too bad. You can't even turn on the candles because that also produces light. Try for two days to live by eliminating every source of life in your light in your life. Just try to see how, how, how much you can go without it. It will not be very much. You can't watch TV at night. You can't even, you can't even read a book in your, you know, in your bed to fall asleep because it's dark. You can't read. Um, you can't even watch the, go and browse the internet because a screen will create some light. I mean, you can browse the internet if your screen is all black. Try that. I mean, try to think, how many things can you do in this physical life if physical light was taken away from you? And see how impoverished you and I would be. Jesus is presented at the beginning of this gospel as the light of man. And the big point is, that Jesus, as a light, he reveals to us the things that were, could not be perceived by us if it was all dark. The point of light is to make visible, to reveal to us the things that cannot be seen in darkness. And that is one of the, the major points that Jesus came to do, to reveal to us the things we could not see because we were in darkness. Friends, that's why when people come to Jesus... One of the signs of true conversion, there's, there's a few, but one of them is that they start, people start realizing how many things in their lives were off track and wrong. In a way that they haven't seen those things in that way before they came to Jesus. And, and sometimes those things pile up so quickly and so many that people can get discouraged and say, oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm, if I'm a Christian because now I see all this sin in my life. I thought I was supposed to get rid of it. Well, not quite. Don't discourage. The whole point is that when we come to Jesus, it's true, we, we don't want to sin more, but something else happens. When we come to Jesus and He is the light and He puts a spotlight on us, all those things that were hidden in the darkness and we didn't know they were there because it was all dark, pitch dark, pitch black, now when the light is turned on, we're like, whoa, where did this come from? It's been there all along, you just didn't see it. And the greater the light of Jesus shines in your life, the deeper you realize that those problems are going. The more you realize that those sins are not just outward behavioral issues. No, the more the light of Christ shines in us, the more we realize the deep roots of the darkness that lies within us. That's the point. And that's why when somebody comes to faith in Christ and they start realizing, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm worse than I thought I was ever uh, in my life. I'm like, well, that's a good sign that you see it this way. That means that the light of Christ is shining. Don't give that up. Don't despair. Praise God that He's convicted you of that sin. 
and that he's revealing more things in her life. That's a sign of, of God, of Jesus being the light in your life. So John presents Jesus as the light of men. But John tells us, as quickly as we are introduced to that, light shines in darkness. But then here's the reality. Three things that darkness does with light. Three things. Verse 5. The light shines in darkness, but darkness has not understood it. Yes, the first thing that John tells us about the light is that despite its shining, it has been misunderstood. The second thing John tells us is in verses, in verses 6 to 9, that God provided not just the light, but a witness that came to testify about the light. Why was that needed? Well, because the light was misunderstood. God had to give an interpretation of that. So he sent John the Baptist to point to the light and to to, to talk about it. Actually, actually, verse 7 says, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. But then in verse 7, verse, verse 10 moves on and says that even though the light came into the world, even though God sent a witness about it, even though the world was made through him, who is the light, in verse 10 we're told the second thing about the world and light and darkness the world did not recognize him. How dark was the darkness of the world not to recognize the very one through whom he was created. The thirdly, there's a third thing that says, verse 11, we are told that he came to his, that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is the most intimate level. Jesus came to that which was his own. By creation, he owned everything. And by, by the fact that he called Israel his own people, the people of Israel were, were God's own people. Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. How sad. How sad. But how real. Friends, by the end of verse 11, in this introduction, we already know so much about where this gospel is going. Three times in 11 verses, we're told, of the reaction of darkness of the world and of his own people towards Jesus. Darkness has not understood the light, the world did not recognize him, and his own did not receive him. Misunderstandings, non-recognition, and rejection. This is a darkness which defines the world and the people to whom Jesus came. But then there's verse 12. All who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Friends, this is the center of the prologue. It is this promise that the entire gospel wants to make. And it is this point that the author is trying to convince all people he is the son of God. And by believing in him, we may have life. But notice the kind of life we get. We get the right to become children of God. Friends, our status as children of God is based in this gospel, according to this gospel, is based not on adoption, but on birth. Paul, the apostle, also speaks 
about us being sons of God through adoption. He has adopted us. The Bible speaks of that. But in this passage, our sonship, our status of children of God is described through being born, through birth. And, and John says it's not natural birth. It is not, here's, it's interesting how, how John describes it. It is um, not by human decision. First of all, not of natural descent, meaning that it's not just, it's real. Uh, it's not by human decision. In other words, our new birth has its origins not in our decisions, but in God's. And thirdly, it is not by a husband's will, in the sense that it's not a physical birth. Our birth is of God. That's a great news of what Jesus came to do to give us a second birth. That's why in John chapter 3, he's talking to Nicodemus that if anyone is not born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this brings me to wrap up this, this prologue. Notice that throughout this prologue so far, John is using images and pictures that are reminding us of the story of Genesis. In the beginning, the word, life, light, darkness. All of these themes are reminding us of the story of Genesis. And John's gospel does begin by echoing the story of Genesis. You know why? Because John wants to tell us that in the coming of Jesus, God is beginning his new creation. In the coming of Jesus, God is beginning his new creation. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth at the end of the age. But before that time, even now, God is beginning that new creation in people who receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Friend, if you have heard this message about Jesus, of who he is, of his origins, his identity, and his mission, he came to bring to us a new creation, a new birth, birth from above. If you don't know this creation, if you don't know this life in you, the Bible tells us that all those who repent of their sins and turn to Christ and believe in what he came to do and to be, they receive the new birth. They receive the status of children of God. Friends, let us, as we begin this gospel, let us rejoice in the fact that this is who Jesus came to be. This is what, he, what Jesus came to do for us so that we might even now be a part of God's new creation. Let us pray. Father.